Good to have you with us this morning. My name is Guy. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church, and it's my privilege to open the Bible with you. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. It's always good to have the printed page in front of you. Ushers will come. Just keep your hand up, and eventually a Bible will come your way. We're going to open up to 1 John, the first letter of the Apostle John. It's towards the end of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. You'll find it there. It's a short book, five chapters. We'll be digging into that this morning. So this is what I've learned through many years of being a pastor. If I want to get people's attention, I just start talking about the Antichrist and the last days. It, it always just kind of works somehow. In fact, that was our experience when we actually moved into this building, which was a big deal for us. You know, it's a new facility. It's beautiful. And it was just so amazing. And I got to thinking, what could we do to actually get the attention off the building? <laughs> you know? And so what we did is the very first Sunday that we moved into this building, we started a study in the book of Revelation. And it was awesome. People came in, I said, yeah, it's a nice building, but the book of Revelation, the last days, the Antichrist, new create, and people are like, yeah, let's do it. And that just seems to be the way that it works. This is what I found. Whenever I talk about the Antichrist or the last days, I, I usually get one of two reactions. Um, reaction number one is some people are super into it. They're like, oh, yes, the last days, the Antichrist. And they get out their charts, you know, their time charts of how everything's going to happen. They have a list of potential names for the Antichrist. You know, who do you, th do you think it might be this guy, or that guy? You know, we, we have those kind of talks. But more often than that, people just kind of freak out. Lots of people freak out. They're like, really, the Antichrist? We're going to talk about that the last days? I don't know. I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. Either way, I don't care. It's good because I've got their attention. Now, you probably don't realize it, but that's exactly what the Apostle John does in the first letter that he writes in 1 John. It's exactly what he does. In fact, you may not know this, but this is a true fact. The only place in the entire Bible where the word Antichrist appears is in 1 John and 2 John. Now, a lot of people are looking at me going, what? I thought the Antichrist was like in all kinds of places in the Bible. Might be so. But the only place that the word Antichrist itself appears is in 1 John and 2 John, these little letters. And so we're going to read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, just one sentence, one verse. We'll start there and then we'll move on. But I want you to see it for yourself. Here it is in black and white. 1 John 2, 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, all week long, I've been teasing Pastor Adam and Christopher because I said to them, you know, how is it that you guys both get to preach about love and I get to preach about the Antichrist? Like, how, how did that actually work out? I'm not sure about that. Let's think about some of the titles that we've had for uh, the last sermons. Here's one. 
Because he loves us. That was the first one that Adam gave. Because he loves us. And then Adam's next sermon, the goal of God's love. And then Christopher's sermon last week, love overcomes the world. Isn't that nice? That's so nice. And my title, the Antichrist in you. (laughs) No, not exactly. That's not my title. I have a better title than that that I'm going to get to. All right. So here I am, and I've kind of been silly about this, and I'm doing it, why? Just to get your attention. Just to get your attention. I want to talk about the Antichrist. I want to talk about the last hour, the last days. And I'm getting your attention. But I need you to know something, and that is that the Apostle John is absolutely serious. He's not joking about what he writes. He's absolutely serious. And what he has to say to us is super important. So if you read this verse in verse 18 and you were paying attention, you might have noticed something that John does that's important. He says, children is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. He makes a reference to the fact that they've already heard about the Antichrist. So this is a theme that they are aware of. Now, even though the word Antichrist appears nowhere in the Bible except right here in the letters of John, it's a theme that they know about. It's something that it's, they're very familiar with this. And most scholars believe that that theme goes all the way back into the Old Testament, into the book of Daniel, where we have one of the scariest scenes In the entire Bible, now this is pre-Christ, it's in the Old Testament, and it's probably where this whole idea of the Antichrist actually came out of. So let's take a look at that, because this is something that the people are aware of. It's in Daniel chapter 7, in verses 7 and 8. And here's what it says. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong and it had great iron teeth it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it it had ten horns I considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by its roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And it's terrifying. It's a terrifying vision of this beast rising up. And you know, if you're familiar with your Bible, that that Vision, that description actually reappears in the book of Revelation. In the last days, at the end of, of days, when out of the sea arises this horrific beast, the beast in Daniel, the beast in Revelation is associated with the Antichrist. And the Christian community knew all about this. They're like, oh, yeah, we know that. We know that, and we know that it's frightening. And now what happens is John does something amazing. He changes gears. So now he's got their attention. Now he's kind of hooked them in. And now he's saying, I want to talk to you about something that you're probably unaware of. And that's what this chapter 
in John or this paragraph is really about. So let's read now the rest of these verses, verse 18 through 25, and see what John is getting at. Something that they might not realize. They know about the Antichrist, but there's something that they don't really know about, they need to know about. We need to know about it too. Chapter 2, verse 18, children is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, even eternal life. Well, there it is. There's the paragraph. And this paragraph that's in front of us is actually one of the most difficult and intense passages in the letter of John. In fact, it's probably one of the most difficult and intense passages anywhere in the New Testament. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to get to the heart of this passage. I want to try to wrap our head around what is happening in this passage. Why is it here? What can we learn from it? And the first thing that I want to share with you is this, that John is showing us in this paragraph what it means to have the heart of a true pastor. So let me just pause, let that sink in. What does it mean to have the heart of a true pastor? John is actually showing us. Do you notice how it starts with the word children? John is fond of using that term when he refers to his church, when he refers to, to the believers. He calls them children. And when he does, he's revealing to us his heart, his attitude. It's a relational word. It's a loving word. It's a caring kind of a word. And that's how he refers to them. As I read this letter of, of 1 John, I begin to be aware of, of how John thinks and feels about his congregation. How does he feel about the people in his church? Let's go back to the beginning for a minute and try to get a feel for the heart of the Apostle John. How about chapter 1, verses 3 and 4? That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And we are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what he says. You know, he says, we've, we've received this greatest gift in the world. It's the message of the gospel. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've been with Jesus. We, we reached out and touched him. We walked with Jesus in the flesh. Amazing. We were at the cross. We saw him crucified. After the resurrection, we saw him. We actually touched the body of the risen Savior. He's like, this is amazing. He says, and we want to share this with you. It's like, oh, man, you've got to know this. We want you to have the same experience that we've had. We want you to have fellowship with us. And then these golden words, these things we write to you that our joy might be full. That's a powerful sentence. I know in some of your translations it might say these things we write so that your joy might be full. But really the earliest manuscripts, the best manuscripts actually say so that our joy might be full. And I really think that that's what he says. And you know why? Because the heart of a true pastor, he cannot have joy in his heart. His joy cannot be full until all of the people in his church, in his ministry, share that same relationship with Christ, know the, the power of the gospel in their own heart and mind. And for them to have that, he says, that's what would make me fully happy. And now you start to get a window into to his thinking. In fact, since you're in the neighborhood, just turn a couple pages past where you are and go to 3 John. Now, 2nd and 3rd John, these are little tiny letters. They're only 13, 14, 15 verses long, each one of them. And in the third letter of John, if you look in verse 4, there's only one chapter, you just look in verse 4, here's what John says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You just saw the heart of a pastor. He says, you know, my joy is that you are walking in truth. And he calls him again, that great word, children. Beautiful. Now, this attitude you're going to see displayed in the New Testament over and over and over again by the apostles, by the leaders of the church. In fact, the apostle Paul, if we want to compare notes for a minute, he says exactly the same thing essentially, to the believers, the church of Galatia. So I'll read that one to you so we can just get the idea of the heart of a pastor. How about the book of Galatians in chapter 4 and verse 19? Here's what Paul says to the Galatian church. My little children, there's that phrase again, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There were problems at the church at Galatia. There were some people who had come in with a false gospel and they were leading the Christians astray. And the Apostle Paul says, Oh, my little children, I'm in agony until Christ is formed in you. Just like when I came and I preached the gospel and you came to faith and we were sharing in the fellowship of the gospel, and now you're being pulled away. And it's almost like I, I want you to just be formed again in Christ. This is the heart of a pastor. You may remember from last week, 
Pastor Christopher put a slide up, a picture of the Oregon coast, and it was a picture of, of a cliff. And there's a sign in front of it, and it says, warning, danger, you know, cliff. I think it showed a guy falling off a cliff. And they had a fence there. And it's, do not go past this fence. You're going to die, right? And it was a warning. It's a warning. Great illustration. It was an act of love for someone to put that warning sign there. It was, it was because you care about someone. It would be negligence not to, right? People are falling off that cliff, and people ignore it anyway. They're like, I want to go out there anyway, and then they fall over and die, Right? Okay, so what is the role of a pastor? What is the heart of a pastor? It's important to know one of the most important jobs of a pastor or spiritual leader is to warn people about spiritual deception and danger. That's one of the most important jobs of a pastor. You've got to warn people. Because just as surely as there's a physical cliff that people can tumble over, in John's mind, just so real is the danger that there's a spiritual cliff that people can just fall right over. You can't see it. You can't see it with your physical eyes, but it's just as real. And so he cares deeply about the Christian community, and he's going to warn them. Now, I know giving a warning in our modern culture is not something that people are excited about. They don't like warnings. They don't like people drawing lines about anything. I mean, maybe we're okay with the, you know, with the sign by the cliff, but maybe not. Maybe some people are going, well, that's just your interpretation of the cliff. <laughs> that's your opinion. What do you know about cliffs, right? They're, dang, they're over on the edge like, look at me, I'm on the cliff. Who are you? You have no authority over me. Okay, so maybe not so much with the physical cliff, but what about a spiritual cliff? Is there such a thing? Yes, there is. Is there danger? Yes, there is. And the apostles, pastors, Christian leaders, their job is to point out when there is deception or when there is danger. And these are their children. You know, so I'm picturing in my mind I'm going to go back to Daniel 7. There's a beast, terrifying beast, rising up over the earth. And in his mouth are the bones, the bodies, the broken bodies. And what falls out of his mouth, he stamps on it with his foot. And the apostle John, he says, you know what I picture in the mouth of that beast? I picture my children, like my own children there. And it breaks his heart. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage is that the next thing we see is that sometimes the greatest threat to our Christian faith is not the most obvious one. You know, when John raised the issue of the Antichrist, he did it to get their attention. They're like, oh, the Antichrist, we've heard of that. That's scary, you know. He's like, yeah. But sometimes the greatest threat to our Christian faith is not the most obvious one. He says, you've heard about the Antichrist, but what you don't know is that there are many Antichrists. 
There are many right here, right now. But they're just not as obvious. The greatest threat in John's mind was not the radical persecution of the church. You think about it. In the early church, there was persecution. The the Roman Empire came against the church. There were Christians who were taken from their homes, put in prisons. They were told, you must kneel down and pledge your allegiance and say, Caesar is Lord. And when they said no, they would throw him to the lions. There was great persecution, and that's a danger. That's a threat to our faith. You know, that's the obvious one. Like, that's super obvious, right? There's a Roman soldier with a sword, and he's about to stab you. That's an obvious threat to our faith, all right? There's plenty of obvious threats to our faith. Even today, the militant atheists, they're coming after you with a Richard Dawkins book in hand, you know? I got 18 reasons why you're a fool to be a Christian. All right, well, that's obvious. That's the obvious threat to our faith. But sometimes the greatest threat isn't the most obvious one. It's one that's more difficult to see. In John's mind, greater than the threat of radical persecution was a subtle twisting of the faith, a subtle distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about when he says there are many antichrists. Let's look at the passage again and I want to ask the question, who are these guys? When he gives a warning, who's he talking about? Who, who are these people? What's their deal, right? We can find it right in the paragraph. So you're going to look at your Bible or at the screen, if you don't have your Bible in front of you, and look with me and go, let's see if we can figure out some things about these people that he's warning about. I'm going to tell you four things about them. The first is this. For a time, they had been part of the Christian community, and then they left. Where is that? Verse 19. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. I think he said the same thing twice, like a couple different ways, right? But I mean, clearly, so I'm trying to piece it together. Who are these guys? You know, he's pretty worked up about it. Who are they? Well, here's the first thing we know about them. For a time, they were actually a part of the Christian community. And you know what that means? That means that they had relationships with the Christians. They knew the lingo. They knew the Christian deal. You know, they understood it. They knew how to talk the talk. I mean, they had been at church. They had been at worship services. Maybe they'd been in small groups, you know. They were around the Christian community. And so you wouldn't necessarily go, that's an antichrist. You know, you just, it wouldn't ever occur to you to think that way. But John actually thinks that way. Sometimes the greatest threat is not the most obvious, but something that you might not at first actually see. Now, this sounds really ominous, okay? That's okay. Let's just go with it. That's where John's leading us. Here's the second thing that we learn about them. They claim to have special knowledge of spiritual things. Special knowledge of spiritual things, spiritual truth. Now, why would I say that? 
Look again at your text at verses 20 and 21. What do we find there? He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. So now we have to discern John's language. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what John is actually getting at because it's almost like he's talking in code or something. Like, what is he talking about here? You know, we all have knowledge. Why, why would he say that? In the first century, there were many groups of people, sort of what I'm going to call popular culture, who were a part of a movement called Gnosticism. Have you heard of Gnosticism? And Gnostic, the word Gnostic or Gnosis actually means knowledge. Knowledge, that's, that's the key, that's what it was. It was about knowledge. And the Gnostics, what their thing was is that we have the secret knowledge. We have the deeper spiritual knowledge. We understand things that you don't understand. And the only way that you can get that knowledge is through us. We have the secret special knowledge. That's what was going on in the first century. So isn't it interesting what John says? He says, you guys need to know, you all have knowledge. Knowledge is not the possession of some secret special few people that you have to get in and, you know, pay money or do whatever, go through rituals to get the knowledge. He says, it's, it's out there, okay? So, I mean, most scholars will agree that this group of people, whoever they were, they made a claim to have a special kind of spiritual insight that was only available to them. Here's the third thing you can know about them. These people weren't just confused or questioning or sitting quietly in the back of church. They actually had an agenda and they were actively going after believers to pull them, to recruit them into what they were doing. How do I know that? Look at your text again. We're going to go to verse 26 now. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. They're actively trying to deceive you. Now, you can understand because you go, well, John is really mean, man. He's picking on these guys, right? You got to understand, he's not talking about people that are just sitting in the back of church going, you know, I didn't really get it. Or even, well, you know, I'm not sure I agree with you. That's not who he's talking about. Okay, there's plenty of those people. You might be here today. I, I went to a church for a year and sat in the back and went, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, the guy who preached the gospel, and I'd go, nah, nah. Or I'd go, um, I don't get it. I have no idea what you're talking about. That makes no sense to me, Okay. Come back again next week and try again. That was me for a year, right? But that's not, you know, I wasn't an antichrist. I had no agenda. I wasn't trying to convert people from the church to my way of thinking. I was just there as a seeker. But these people are way beyond that. These people have come to a settled conclusion about their view of spiritual truth. They think they have the inside track, and it's their job to educate everybody and bring Christians along with them. Okay, that's who these guys are. So you need to know that. They're actively trying to deceive. And the fourth thing, the fourth and final thing that I note about this group is that the key to their deception was what they taught about Jesus. 
That's the center. That's the key to this deception. It was what they actually taught about Jesus Christ. Now, where do I see that? Look at your text again in verses 22 and 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. See, that tells you this is the essence of, of where these people are at and what they're teaching. It's about Jesus. The error is about Jesus. And essentially what John is saying is he's saying that these people who teach an error intentionally teach the wrong thing about Jesus, that is the spirit of Antichrist. That is Antichrist. It's not just the beast rising out of the ocean with horns on its head and bones in its teeth in the book of Revelation. It's actually far more subtle than that, and it's everywhere, he says. And as Christians, we need to always be on alert because the great battleground of spiritual truth is the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus. Who is Jesus and what has Jesus done? Now, these people denied that Jesus was the Christ. You know what the word Christ means, right? It means the Messiah or the anointed one. It means that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. God would send the Savior into the world. It means that Jesus was raised up on the third day, seated above every name that could be named and given a name above all names, and that name is Lord Christ. It means that Jesus is the unique Savior of the world. There's no one in the same category as Jesus. He's utterly unique. And what happened through the life and ministry of Jesus is unparalleled in history. And Jesus is the Savior. Now that is a pretty radical claim. A lot of people would go, well, I don't know about that. So there's two responses to that claim. One is, who do you think you are? Coming off of stuff like that. I mean, you think that like Jesus is special or something. You're like, well, actually, yes. There's some people who they don't like that. They go, well, that's, that can't be right. That just can't be right because, because like all religions are the same, so that just can't be right. But there's other people that go, that's the best news I've ever heard in my life. That's the missing piece. That's the hope of salvation. I love that. And that's the dividing line of Christian faith. And these people who hung around the church for a while, they finally said, because of popular culture was moving in a different direction, they said, no, we don't really go with that. What we believe is that Jesus is, you know, maybe he's a great man and maybe he was a teacher or a prophet or something like that, but he's not unique. He's not the Christ. He's not the Son of God. And they denied it. And the other thing they denied was the incarnation. We call it the incarnation. That means that on Christmas that God was born into human flesh, and they denied that too, right? And how do I know that? Well, it says it in 1 John chapter 4. I'll just read this to you. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus that does not confess Jesus is not from God, 
This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is even now in the world. In the flesh, that means incarnation. So what these guys did is they essentially denied the most essential teachings of the gospel. They denied them. And it was kind of a subtle thing in a way, at first at least. And, you know, the Apostle John said, this is a really, really dangerous thing. It's no wonder that John began his letter the way that he did, where John says in chapter 1, that which was from the beginning we have heard, seen with our eyes, looked upon, and touched. Why? Because it's the incarnation. It's the Son of God in human flesh. And he says that it was real. It's like we, we were able to reach out and touch him, and this is the Christ. This is the Son of God. That's why he, he teaches the way that he does. In fact, I'm just going to show one more verse to you. This is so rich. In, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It's all right here in John 4, 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. Notice only. That means unique. Into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you see how John connects the, the incarnation, Son of God in the flesh, and the work of the cross where our sins are forgiven by the unique Son went to the cross. This unique work could only happen one time in history, and it happened in Christ, and he connects it with love. You say, well, why is this? It's all about love, but you're talking about the Antichrist. It's all about love, but you're talking about people who deceive. But don't you see, Christian love is based on this radical truth. This is the basis of all Christian love. And it's mind-boggling, and it's beautiful. Some people want to leave this truth in the dust and move on. In the second letter to John, just turn one page, go to John, 2 John, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. Anyone who goes on ahead. Some translations say anyone who just runs on, <laughs> runs past the truth of Christ, leaves it in the dust. They don't, they don't have it. They're missing it. And this is what the Gnostics did. The Gnostics said, well, that's nice, that little thing about Jesus and the gospel, that's kind of cool, but we're moving on. Like, we're going to leave that and go on to deeper things, deeper truths, truths that resonate more with the culture that we live in. We don't want to think about that. We're going to go over here. And they ran off and right over a cliff. There's plenty of people that are just leaving behind the things of Christ, and they're, they're hurling themselves over the cliff, so to speak, spiritually, by leaving behind the essential truths of the gospel. Sometimes the greatest threat to your faith is not the most obvious, but it's real. In my year of coming to Christ, so when I was 19 years old, I came to faith in Christ. And I was trying to figure it out. And some Christians had given me the Bible and said, read the Gospel of John. And I was reading the Gospel of John. And the weirdest thing happened, this is a true story, People started knocking at my door. 
constantly people knocking at my door. And I'd open the door and say, hi, how can I help you? And they'd say, we're here with a message from God for you. And I'm like, well, what's that? You know, and because I'm, I'm trying to figure out Christianity, you know. And they would say things like, oh, well, what are you doing? And I'd say, well, I'm reading the Gospel of John. And they would say, oh, well, we have another revelation of, of God that we need to share with you. It's this other book. Because you can't, from, from the Gospel of John, that's not enough. You need to add this other book, another revelation of Jesus. You just add that to it, and then you'll get it. And you know, I had this weird experience because I thought, nah, I'm not going to do that. I don't know why. I just went, and I would say this to these people. I'd say, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Gospel of John very thoughtfully and prayerfully and just see what happens. So thanks for sharing. Goodbye. And, you know, the next day, someone else would knock on my I'm not kidding you. This happened. It was the strangest thing. Knock on the door. Hello? You know, um, how can I help you? Well, we're here, you know, and we're just giving a spiritual message. And I'm like, oh, well, that's amazing because I'm exploring Christianity and I'm reading the Gospel of John. Oh, that's not enough. You need this magazine, the Watchtower magazine. This is the only way that it'll, you can understand. And I'm like, nah, I don't think I'll do that. I'm just going to read the Gospel of John. You know, this happened over and over again. The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus went down to North Hollywood. I mean, these people are just smoking dope and going, it's the Gospel of Jesus. And, you know, I'm like, eh, I think I'll just read the Gospel of John. <laughs> and here's what happened. I read the Gospel of John, I prayed, and my eyes were open to the glory of Jesus and to the historical reality of what God had done through his son, Jesus Christ. And I had a radical conversion. It was so amazing. Years later, you know, I got married, and my wife, who had been a part of a high school Christian group, a bunch of other girlfriends, we went to visit one of her friends from the high school group that now is post-college and this gal is married, and we went to visit them, and we're sitting there in their living room, and Maureen's asking about, well, you know, what's going on with your faith? And, and this girl, she said, well, you know, I'm kind of past that now. And, and I'll never forget what she said. This is a true story. It's really sad to me. Because we said, well, what are you doing? And she said, here's what we want. And I quote, she said, we want Christianity without Christ. That's what we want. And she's totally serious. And I thought, that's an amazing statement. I mean, we could spend an hour on that. Like it's, you know, how do you have Christianity without Christ? But that was the quest, which translated means we want to leave behind things like the cross, the blood of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ. We want to leave all that behind. But we want church. We want a spiritual experience. So they went and they joined the Unity Church. And and that's basically what they got, Christianity without Christ. So, you know, you can get mad at me and say, Pastor, you're picking on people. Well, you know what I'm doing? I'm actually being really lightweight compared to John. Because the heart of a pastor is to say, folks, there is a cliff, and it's important that we know where it is. And it's important that we're anchored in our faith. So what's the solution? So last point, John tells us what to do. Back in 1 John chapter 2, and now we're going to go to verse 24. He tells us what to do. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. You see, that's the answer. He gives the answer. 
He doesn't say you need to go lock yourself in a room and, you know, have a light pierce your brain. He doesn't say that. He says, let that which you've heard from the beginning, it's the first things. Go back to the first things. That's why he began the letter the way he did, with the first things. Jesus, the incarnate Lord coming into the world and dying on the cross. First things. Stand strong in the first things of the apostolic message of the gospel, the truth of Christ, the unique Son of God. Stand firm in that. Don't ever let it go. Don't rush past it and hurl yourself over the cliff. Don't do that. Anchor yourself in Christ. So 45 years ago, I came to faith in Jesus, in the Gospel of John, and I spent the last 45 years just digging deeper into the first things. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface. It just gets deeper and richer and more powerful than ever. It's never like, no, let's just leave that and go on to the next thing. Never, never. At River West Church, this is what we care about. We care about the truth of Christ. Why? Because we care about you care about you. 